hosts of Common Sense Investing have been helping their clients and listeners make sense of the markets for nearly three decades. Using a conservative, diversified, value-oriented approach to investing, they strive to make you a better educated, well-informed investor. And now here's your host, Eric Whiteman. Okay, a German triathlete, and I won't pronounce his name because I'll probably just get it wrong. Anyhow, this fellow, this athlete, stands about 5'9", weighs about 175 pounds. He follows a diet of intermittent fasting. And it's really just an eating pattern as opposed to a diet. If it's where you don't eat for maybe 20 hours a day, and then the other four hours, well, you just eat until you're full. So when it was time for him to eat, he went to this all-you-can-eat sushi buffet, paid his $26 or whatever it was. Then he proceeded to eat what was described as 100 plates of sushi. 100 plates. Now, I wasn't sure what 100 plates actually meant, so I went to Yelp. And I looked at pictures of the restaurant and the ones that the customers had taken. And it appears that there are about two to three pieces of sushi per plate. So I'm guessing he ate between 200 and 300 pieces of sushi. That's maybe 4,000 calories. Needless to say, the restaurant owner wasn't very happy. With this business model, he's only making money off the drinks and not the food. And apparently this athlete, well, he didn't drink enough. So they ended up banning him forever. This reminds us that, as Warren Buffett famously said, price is what you pay value is what you receive. And I would say in this case, the athlete got tremendous value. Keep this in mind when you're investing. You're seeking out value for your investing dollars. And since this is National Cheeseburger Day, I imagine both Warren Buffett and I will be out looking for deals later on. Incidentally, the athlete did apologize to the restaurant owner afterwards. Welcome to this edition of Common Sense Investing. I'm your host, Eric Whiteman, partner here at the XML Financial Group. So glad you could join us today. Today, we're going to be talking about two companies that just released earnings, and we'll see if they offer us any compelling values. But before we do that, I've had a couple of people ask me about the automakers, specifically GM and Ford. If you have a question for the show, drop us a line. Drop us a line at podcast at xmlfg.com. Again, that's podcast, which is plural, at xmlfg.com. Well, while the market has been going one way, the car makers have been going in reverse. Since the beginning of the summer, GM has fallen from around $45 to about $35 where it sits now. And Ford has gone from $12 to about $9.50 where it's at trading today. And both are trading under about five or six times earnings. Ford symbol F is paying a dividend of 60 cents, which means it's yielding about 6.3%. And they've also been paying a supplemental dividend, which takes that yield even higher. And GM, well, they're paying $1.52 for a dividend, and that turns out to be a yield of about 4.3%. Now, the question is, these stocks look cheap at five, six times earnings. Is it worth buying them, even if it's just for the dividend? Now, I'm not going to talk about Tesla, symbol TSLA, because I think most of you already know my feelings about that company. But over their long history, car makers have proven 
that they can turn out innovative products for the U.S. market. However, relatively low product differentiation, along with intense competition, has forced the industry to consider ways to attract customers while maintaining their healthy profit margins. One way they've boosted sales is through increased debt financing with questionable credit underwriting. After bottoming out at 10 point, or 10.6 million units in 2009 during the last recession, U.S. total vehicle sales have surged, peaking at almost 18 million units back in 2016. Since then, the pace has slowed down. We saw August sales slip to an annual rate of 17 million. And as sales slip, the auto companies have to find more attractive ways for their customers to finance their purchases. You see that trend in the Federal Bank of New York's quarterly report on household debt and credit. Even as vehicle sales have flattened out, the amount of customer auto, uh, consumer auto debt excuse me, has continued to soar, reaching an all-high time of $1.24 trillion in June. What's happened is the manufacturers have become increasingly willing to increase the receivables on their balance sheets and deliver product to consumers, well, with the expectation of future payment, of course. In theory, this is great for both the consumer and the car makers. But the data indicates that the underwriting process has deteriorated and consumers are starting to struggle to meet their obligations. According to FactSet, which has done some, I'll tell you, some really good work on this over the past four years, the percent of auto debt obligations that are 90 days plus delinquent have, has risen from 3.3% to 4.2%. That means there's about, well, call it $52 billion of delinquent debt within the auto industry. According to that New York Fed report, Credit scores have declined and people with subprime scores maintain a substantial share of the newly originated loans. We can obviously see the problem with this and the U.S. auto companies are starting to feel significant pressure on the receivables as a result of the delinquent debt. GM has about 76% of its sales here in the U.S., and they saw a 31% increase in bad debt expense in 2017 uh, from a year earlier. Ford, Ford generates 60% of its sales in the U.S., and they saw their bad debt increase 15% year over year. In the case of GM, the inability to collect on the outstanding debt has created a liquid asset issue. Now, that's a nice way of saying they aren't generating any free cash flow now. Right now, I think they both, both GM and Ford, have ample liquidity to continue to pay their dividend. Ford may cut or eliminate their supplemental dividend at some point, but right now, my guess is that they both continue to pay in the near term. To me, it's not worth buying either just for the dividend, especially when sales are declining and questions are starting to arise about the balance sheet. If you do want to own a car company, well, maybe you look at Fiat Chrysler, symbol FCAU. Fiat earns 52% of its revenue in here in the U.S. And over the last five years, 
they've seen a decrease in their bad debt expense of 68%. That's because they are financing relatively little compared to Ford and GM. Over the last few years, FCAU has been growing their earnings at a pretty good clip. They've been increasing their net margins and they're paid off a boatload of debt that they had. You may remember that they also spun off Ferrari, but they still have Maserati, Fiat, Alfa Romeo, Lancia, Chrysler, Dodge, and Jeep. And they also have the parts business, which may or may not be sold or spun off or what have you. My guess is that they earn somewhere close to $3.60 next year, which really isn't that far away. And if that's the case, then they're trading at four to five times next year's earnings, which much with much better prospects in the future, especially compared to Ford and GM, and they're selling for cheaper. One thing you should know is that its CEO, Sergio Marchoni, he became ill and he stepped down as the CEO and sadly passed away a few days later. And the board named longtime Jeep executive Michael Manley as the CEO. Now, he's been heavily involved in developing the company's strategic plan out to 2022, but now he's in charge of executing it too. I've owned this company for a while, but if I can get it close to $17, I'd be a buyer. This isn't a company that I'd own forever. It's not a core type of business. The car business is more cyclical. So this would be more of a long-term trade. Let's step away for a minute. And when we come back, let's talk about two companies that have just released their earnings. This is Eric Whiteman, and this is Common Sense Investing. We are back in just a moment. You've worked hard. You've saved and invested. Now you want to make sure all your hard work pays off. Now's the time to start planning for that future. Hi, this is Eric Whiteman of the XML Financial Group. No two people have the same goals and values. We can help you craft a framework for making a lifetime of smart financial decisions that's right for you. Now's the time to get the advice you deserve. Call us at 301-770-5234. Well, thank you and welcome back to this edition of Common Sense Investing. I'm your host, Eric Whiteman, partner here at the XML Financial Group. This Saturday is the Montgomery County's Children's Business Fair, and we're going to be out there lending our support to the business leaders of tomorrow. If you can make it, it's between 11 a.m. and 2 p.m. It's at the Rockville Town Center. There are about 40 kids between the ages of 6 and 15. They're going to be showing off their business ideas. It should be a good time. If you do come out, make sure you say hello. Now, we aren't quite in earnings season yet, but some companies do report out of the cycle. Two of them being FedEx and Oracle, which both reported earnings earlier this week. And both are holdings, which I've had for a long time. Let's look at Oracle first. And here's, here are the basics. Oracle, symbol O-R-C-L. It's trading just under $48, and it pays a little bit of a dividend, not much. It looks like Oracle had a decent start to the fiscal year, although total cloud services and uh, support revenue growth was slightly disappointing. It was pretty similar to last quarter when they reported healthy metrics for its net suite and database business. In my opinion, 
It's the cloud positioning and growth prospects, which are both pretty tepid, especially when you line them up against someone like Microsoft and Salesforce and and some of the others. They're certainly a laggard in the public cloud when compared to Amazon and Microsoft. And that's despite whatever management has to say. Oracle has always been known for its relational database, and that's what they've used to build their middleware and their application software business off of. Now, over the last few years, Oracle has been transitioning from a one-off sales model to a reoccurring revenue model. This is basically what everyone's trying to do. They want reoccurring revenue and reoccurring revenue is valued higher than, well, one-off sales are. In, In doing so, in this transition, well, the accounting gets a little tougher to analyze. I think they have a good business, not a great business, but a good business. And it's one that generates a good amount of free cash flow. That's roughly a 7% free cash flow yield. My guess would be that they grow in the high single digits over the next couple of years. And you add in that little bit of dividend, you're probably looking at a 10% type of return with Oracle. And that's assuming the multiple doesn't expand or or contract. The multiple being what people are willing willing to pay for a dollar of earnings. And I don't really see why it would either expand or contract at the moment. If they earn $3.45 next year, which is what I'm guessing, then they're trading at about 14 times earnings, which is higher than they've uh, been on average over the last 10 years, but not egregiously higher. So at the moment, I think Oracle is pretty fairly value. And if I own it, oh, I'd continue to hold on to it. But I don't think I'd be getting a great deal by buying it here at 49. Give it to me at 46, then I think we have something to talk about. You have to do your own research and see what's right for you. Let's talk about Federal Express, symbol FDX, which seems fairly apropos right now because I'm actually sitting here waiting for a delivery from them. FedEx announced earnings on Monday and the stock got crushed on Tuesday. Now, to be fair, it didn't look like it was a big hit or it it did look like it was a big hit, but in reality, it dropped back to where it was trading about a week or two earlier. It got crushed. And I'm talking about a four or 5% decline because they missed on earnings. They came in at an adjusted $3.46 for the quarters. And that was below the $3.80, which was the consensus. I see part of the miss is a timing issue, but whatever. Yes, they missed analyst expectations. But when I look at it, I see a company that reported a solid 11% year-over-year improvement in revenue and flat operating margins. I'll take that any day. On top of it, they also increased their full-year guidance given the strong U.S. economy. And I listened to the conference call, and I thought there were a couple of main takeaways in there. The first one, and the big one, is that the the trade in the macro picture are the main focus. While the U.S. economic outlook is great, FedEx said that they saw slowing growth in the Eurozone and China. And the currently enacted tariffs are starting to have an impact on business in China. 
this doesn't have a great effect on FedEx's business. The China-U.S. lane, as they call it, represents 2% of FedEx's total revenue with the current tariffs affecting 10% of that 2%. And with the latest tariffs on top of it, it hikes it up to about 25% of the 2%. I know it's confusing, but with all the tariffs, it it ends up affecting only one half of 1% of FedEx's business. It's pretty darn small. Another takeaway was that their recent announcement that they were expanding the U.S. ground operations to six days a week. This enables them to expand capacity and reduce the segment's CapEx spending. All told, I think the greatest risk to FedEx is the macroeconomic environment, and I don't see much in the way of a near-term catalyst for them. Now, with that said, I think FedEx is a really good business, and it's pretty darn cheap on top of it, unless you think earnings are going to fall apart, of course. If I use the midpoint of their latest earnings guidance and say they earned $17.50 a share this fiscal year, then they're trading at about 14 times earnings, which is pretty darn cheap looking back over the last 15 years. You could say that maybe it's because they aren't growing as fast as they have in the past. Well, over the last 10 years, They've grown earnings on average at about six and a half percent per year. And over the last five years, they've grown them by 16 percent per year. So the earnings have actually accelerated over the last five years. As I said, I think this is a really good company with good earnings and a fortress balance sheet. I'm a buyer of half right here at 245. And if things get really ugly, I'd buy the other half at 230. Stay disciplined in your buying. Don't go chasing just because you have some money that you can put to work. Well, we've run out of time for today. We'll be back next Wednesday. Until then, remember, it's just as important to protect your assets as it is to grow them. Okay, you've listened to the show. Now it's time for the really good stuff. So listen up. It's the disclosures. The things I talked about during the show, well, they're just my opinion and may or may not necessarily be those of the XML Financial Group. Don't construe this as personalized advice or a solicitation to buy or sell a security. No, no. You should consult your own financial advisor to see if it's appropriate for you. It's also not a substitute for tax or legal advice. I'd suggest you get someone who's qualified in these areas so you can get the advice you deserve. When you're talking about asset allocation, diversification, rebalancing, they don't guarantee better results and they don't eliminate the risk of losses. In investing, there are no guarantees. Just because you use these strategies doesn't mean you'll outperform someone or something who doesn't. XML Financial LLC is an independent registered investment advisor.